Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. You're my favorite people. <laughs> I am Ronnie Pierce. I am from Tennessee. I don't know if you can tell it, but I really, really am. <laughs> Hallelujah. I have a tremendous, tremendous, more than respect. I have the very highest honor, the very highest regard for this ministry in particular. I came from some very hard times. My beginning was one that looked impossible from the get-go from the time I was born. There in the hills of Middle Tennessee, I grew up and most of my early years were spent planning a funeral. And it was my funeral because everything that could go wrong went wrong in my young life. I, was, I grew up there, very country boy, what have you. I wasn't like anyone I knew. No one I knew was like me. But I was stuck in a world that I didn't ask to be in and I couldn't get out of it alive, but I was afraid of that mysterious thing called death. Something that I heard as a kid that really tormented my mind was, I heard some older man talking to somebody and he made the statement that from the moment you're born, you're heading toward the day you will exit here, and he says you're heading toward a day when you're gonna croak. I'd like to say it a little nicer to you, that there is coming a day when like a jug of milk out of, the, out of your nearby grocery, there's an expiration date when it's over for you. And you want to make sure that you do and you supply to the body of Christ. Every joint supplies something. Everything that is possible for you to supply to the body of Christ before you expire. When I go to hospitals and I go to different places, I'm called. That's, that's probably one of the biggest demands on me is to visit people. When they're in situations and places, they didn't really think they'd wind up, but they did. And when I get there... I haven't ever had one to say, I just wish I'd have went one more year to college. I wish I would have went to that revival or anything like that. Every time what I hear is, I did a lot of things that could have been my purpose, but did I really do my purpose? I want to suggest to you, make sure before you come to that day in your life, make sure you're doing your purpose, not just the one somebody thought was a good idea for you that everybody that you would know is already doing. Your purpose will be the only one that will, will earn you the reward God intends for you to have. And you have time to do it. For me, it meant there was going to be a lot of healing. There was going to be a lot of deliverance. I'm going to share a scripture real quickly. And when I started to say, one of the greatest ministries and one of the greatest, I mean by far, influences in my life has been your pastor, Dwayne Vanderklok. To me, when I hear things and I sit in conferences and I know so many people in the body of Christ and great, great leaders, I've stood alongside, I mean, the ones that are high ranking high and they call them God's generals. But I want to tell you that for the faithfulness from the time I met him when he was such a missionary, but he had a Bible school. I met Don and Susan. I met them in the church the first time I came. And the thing I noticed about every person I've ever met here is you are building on a solid rock. Regardless of what you might like or believe about this one particular position or that position, you're building on a rock. You're not building on the sand. And when the storms come, and listen, church, I mean, it doesn't sound too sweet, but you better believe that there are some bigger storms coming. We haven't seen the biggest of them yet. But if you stick with what you have available to you here, you are prepared. I mean, those storms can come, the winds can blow, but your house isn't going to know it. You're not even going to realize what's out there. And you know why? Because we don't live from the outside. 
outside in. We live from the inside out. The foundation that you are building when you come into this ministry isn't one out there that when everything around you outside is perfect, you think you have peace and inside you're falling apart. But this is a peace that you don't have to keep. It's one that will keep you from within, and it will see you through, I mean, to your finish line with total victory. I worked alongside Brother Norville Hayes for many years. Norville was the one that took me under his wing, called me his son. And so when I had been healed and I'd been delivered and set free through a woman of God, she said, you can't build your life and your ministry, the calling of God on you. You can't build it on a testimony. You have to build it on the word. And in order to do that, you've got to have a foundation. I'm taking you to Norville Hayes. She was a Georgia woman. And I thought, well, I'm going to go meet this Norville Hayes. And so I got down there and, you know, this is really kind of funny because the actually what opened doors for me was the singing. I've, I've been a singer all of my life, grew up singing Southern gospel before I got so sick. So I was singing and they'd asked me, and I, I still remember so clearly the first time when I got to the school to meet Norville, I'm a little ahead of myself, but I just love this. Norville was one that could encourage and say, now God's answer for you is always victory. You understand what I mean? I remember, I remember the first line I heard him say, he says, now, you know, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, you know what all means, don't you? Well, all means all. That's all. Praise the Lord. And I thought, how, where has she sent me to? Has he got two brains, one lost and the other not looking for it? I mean, I'm, I need deliverance. Help. You know, I'm supposed to understand all of this. And so I remember sitting there. And so it was, a, it was actually a seminar. You remember the days of seminars? And it was Charles Capps. And it was when he was doing his teaching revelation on the ministry of angels. And I wound up doing, doing a lot of writing. But that was where the seminar happened that wound up being the book and, and it's taught us so much about angels. So I would sing and Norval loved the anointing and he liked the way that it would connect. He said, Ronnie has a gift that's better than his singing even. He says, when he sings, you know even the angels will come in and listen. And he was just talking and I just thought, really? Nobody's ever said anything good about me and my God, I thought I was coming to him for help. He needs help. He needs a psychiatrist. But he's saying, you know, uh, the thing I like about him, even the angels, but you know what? I really like the anointing comes, the song is delivered, the message is received, but then we're prepared for the word. He don't try to play and pump something out of you. He said two, one of two things happens. Either God comes down to the place, he either God comes down to the people, or the people are brought up to God, and then he's smart enough to move out of the way and let the word come that we are there to receive. And I said, really? He said, uh, really? Well, really, you're not all that hot. And I asked him later, and he just walks off leaving, and I thought, do you realize I came over here because I have, been the, I have been a victim of rejection all of my life? You have just caused me to take 10 steps back. But what had happened when I was seven years old, when you knew Norval, Norval would really feel, he would really pump you with strength, when in the word and what have you. But if he thought you was getting a little full of yourself, he'd pull the plug on you. And I just thought, you know, I don't really know, is he, is, is he bipolar? You know, what is it really that makes him tick? Now, what's funny is I'm 55 years old right now, and that's how old he was when I met him. I had been, I had been uh, raised there in Tennessee. We, in my family, immediate family, we were a people that we went to church somewhere sometimes. But of all the families, my family was one that didn't go to every service. We wasn't there every time the door. But when we went, we knew how to act, and we knew that it was reverent and sacred and that God was real. And we loved God. And, you know, we even prayed and said prayers. But I was seven years old, and something began to stir in me. And I began to think, what is, the me what is my meaning in life? And I'm seven years old. And there had been hardship, there had been pain, and just, you know, there was a song years ago in the chorus that said, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. 
And he wants to do that for every single one of us before we leave in here tonight. I remember that I was just thinking, God, I want to know how real are you? There's a day when I want to know that I really and truly am right with you because I thought that, you know, he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty and nice. I thought that was God. I found out later it's Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. Have a Merry Christmas. But that's how I grew up thinking that God was it. He's just waiting for me to move it. So I remember having a cousin and uh, I was asking him, what does it mean to be saved? And he said, well, it just means, you know, you don't do that till you're old. The old people do that. Old, real old people. You know, because they, ain't, they can't help it. They ain't got no, nothing else to do, but they're just waiting to die. I thought, really? Help. And I thought, well, I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm not, I don't know how to live. I guess I can get ready to die. But I'm just seven years old. And how would you ever guess this? March of 1972, I went to the kitchen to get something to drink out of the fridge, and I was going to go watch my Saturday morning program just like normal. But as I was at the refrigerator, some suction got in my legs. And before I knew it, it was pulling me back to my bedroom. And I thought, I don't want to sleep. I want to watch TV. But when I got back to my bedroom, I could not see the room as I'm looking at this room here tonight. All of a sudden, Jesus stepped into my bedroom and he wouldn't let me see his face. Only from here down, there were, I mean, the robes and what he was wearing. It, was, it wasn't like material that I know. It was the best way I can describe it. It was like clouds that just rolled and rolled and the glory was glorious and it was glorious. And I remember seeing his shoes and I remember and he said, and, and I, have, I, have, I cannot begin to tell you exactly how it sounded, but the closest I can come is if you've heard the sound of the deepest, loudest thunder you could ever imagine, but yet, while it was all powerful and it had all the punch, it was also the most gentle, sweet, peaceful, light as a feather that you didn't want him to stop talking. There was life in those words. There was something in them that you didn't have to know the definition as a, as a mere mortal. You just knew whatever he's saying, that something's happening in me. And he began to tell me about a ministry that I would do, that I would do work for him, things that my natural brain wasn't old enough or didn't have anything to draw on to understand. And I have lived out every bit of that since then. But what he was telling me and when he was ready at, to go, he came at 10 after 7, he left at 20 after. Because I was determined to see my show. I missed 10 minutes. Now, after he came, he kind of missed it. I missed the last 10 minutes after he left. I have never been so scared, but I've also never been so glad to know that somebody knows who I am. There's somebody from another world that created heaven and earth, and he knows where my bedroom is. Now, if you ever want to wake up and be in an awkward place, have the devil scared out of you because Jesus just left your bedroom and you need to tell somebody. I thought they already thought one flew over the cuckoo's nest. They're going to think I fell in for sure. I ain't never going to get out of the mental institution now. But I'm telling you, what he said to me was as real as standing before you tonight. He knew then that I'd be standing here, but I had no idea I'd ever stand anywhere and have the privilege to share the name of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the love of Jesus with anybody on earth, and it make a difference. When he left, I was on a search. I had to get born again. Did you ever try to tell some people, and in our community, it was the particular denomination was, that was prevalent was the Baptist community, but they had, in my community, it was believed that you got to be at least 12 years old. I thought, dear God, Jesus, I'm seven. 
why didn't you check before you come? Because none of the preachers will let me get saved. They don't know what to do. And I'm talking to them and they're saying, oh, no, no, no. You've just had a bad dream. You've just had this or this. And I said, Jesus is in my bedroom. No, he was not. You know, you're pulling my leg and nobody take me serious. Now, you know what? I don't care if you are seven years old and ain't never cussed. It'll make you almost want to cuss when they say Jesus wasn't there because I thought I didn't invite him. I mean, this is one time the good Lord done something very good and it's supposed to be have a good happy ending and I did not even invite him. He invited himself and now I have to do something about it. I finally, after two weeks, told my mother I can't take it because my heart's ripping. Because there's a knowledge, there's something in me that I know I'm supposed to belong to him by my choice. And I don't even know how to make that happen. And we was in the backyard. And so we're in the country in the rural areas. And she said, let's step behind the woodshed. I'm going to pray. And we're going to pray. Ronnie, just relax. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer. And then you just talk to him like you talk to me. And you just tell him what you want. If he wants you, just tell him that he can have you. And I'll never forget, as we prayed, all of a sudden, I couldn't feel my feet. I couldn't feel a brain that was worried. I couldn't feel ashamed. I couldn't feel anything. And I said, Jesus, come in. And Don's been to my house. And he's seen the woodshed that's out there now, what have you. He stood right in the spot, what have you. And I've thought so many times, I had no idea when I was getting born again at seven years old behind the woodshed that God had taken a little boy behind the woodshed that he became Lord and Savior of and take him all over the world to tell about the healing power of God, that with God all things are possible and see miracles, to see mountains move, to see souls come to know him that has not received Jesus yet. I had no idea. So what, I, what I really learned out, out of it all was when I was seven and thought I was the one that was all his own his mind and it was a big ordeal. When he saved me behind the woodshed, I found out I wasn't the only one on his mind. He had you on his mind so that we would meet here tonight and encounter him in a new and a much needed and a refreshing kind of way. And I give him the praise and the glory for it. I was ready to go. I was ready to fly. I was ready to do whatever. And at that time, I didn't really mean to come in and just give you my testimony, but I just kind of wanted to just fill these cracks. I mean, I've been here, this is three times, three years in a row, and I am so grateful. But I want you to kind of know where I come from, not for my sake, but I believe there's people here tonight. I believe that there's people here that you've had the call, that you've had an encounter, you've had an experience with God, but you've not known either how to go about doing something with it. And the real truth is, is just talk to him and just bear your soul and be as honest as you know how to be. He's a big boy. He can handle it. And you know what? He loves you where you are. He ain't waiting for you to get it all together before he'll decide whether or not he'll include you. Did you ever talk? Did you ever look in the Bible? And, and, and I would look at Peter now. I'm I mean, as a pastor, I'm thinking, you better show your accountability. You better this, 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 and I got this list. And then I'm looking, thinking, Peter, who knew Jesus and was with him, he denies he knows him three times. But guess who gets to preach on the day of Pentecost when the church is born? And I mean, the Holy Ghost is poured out. And they all heard others speaking in other tongues and spirit. Peter got to. Now, I'd been standing there being, I mean, you talk about being mad. I'd have been ready to spit cotton. I'd have thought, listen, Jesus, we got a problem. You know what? He denied he knew you three times, and I ain't never denied I knew you. You know what the difference was? Something you have in this ministry that you could easily take for granted. He had a revelation at Caesarea Philippi where I love to go. He's the one that Jesus, he says, you know what? People are talking. What are they saying out there? Who do they say I am? Well, you're one of the prophets. But Simon, who do you say I am? Not who do you think I am, who do you say with your mouth I am? And when they're there around, I mean the God of Pan and all these other foreign religions... He says, who do you say I am? Who will you say I am unashamed? I say that you're the Christ. You truly are the son of the living God. Once you've had, now I came up with religious ideas that I always thought from the minute Jesus moved in my heart, he's looking for the first chance to move out. That's not true. 
Peter had a revelation of who he was. And he said, flesh and blood did not reveal it to you, but my father in heaven. And from now on, you're not Simon blown around in the wind. You are Peter. And on this rock of a revelation of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so you know what? The one that has the revelation will be the one that when it comes time, I mean for darkness to be turned to day, for night to become day. And I mean for all the kingdom of hell to be absolutely stopped in his tracks and let the kingdom of heaven rule and reign. It's going to be the one with a true revelation who will say out loud, unashamed, who he really is. I see a lot of people that have a lot of needs. And the saddest thing for me is to see someone in need who has a question, does God really want to help me in my need? Well, after I got born again, I was hungry for the Holy Spirit. I began to get sick. I had, I had numerous occasions. I mean, there was things I had. I suffered abuse. I suffered all kinds. I had growths begin to grow in my body. I had a liver malfunction. I found out in the process of that, I had a totally deformed spine from birth. Through all of that and the fear of, of hemorrhaging and tumors and, and fear of cancer and all that that was going on. I mean, the next thing I knew, I suffered a breakdown, a horrible breakdown. They called it manic depression, which now is considered bipolar. So, I mean, I was getting some of everything. And you know what was interesting was... After Jesus left my room, I realized that what I'm dealing with here is now I'm scared of hell. It was tormenting me. It was constant. After I got Jesus to save me and I received him as the Lord of my life, my mother, after we finished, she said, now, honey, if the devil comes and he tries to mess with you and he tries to make you, you know, feel like you're just a fool and you're making a fool of yourself, you don't have to get on your knees. You don't have to pray out loud. Just under your breath right there in the classroom, you can just say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. She taught me something she didn't even know she knew. Praise is the answer that will silence him. Years down the road, I mean, the next thing I knew as a few years passed, I was really in dire straits. I didn't know. I was afraid of hell when I wasn't saved and Jesus came. After he left, through the sickness, the hemorrhaging, the growths and all of that, I was just thinking, okay, do I, have to go back to the, do I have to go to the hospital? You know, it was like doctors all the time. Every three weeks, we was going through this whole ritual all over again. I thought, so the hospital. Then the next thing I knew was one thing and then another. And you know, Jesus, he's either Lord of all or he really doesn't seem to be Lord at all. It was the hospitals. And then when they got in on the depression... It was psychotic. It was counseling. It was all about, am I going to spend my life in a mental institution? Then I had an, I, I was, I'd been in an accident and I had three ruptured discs that went directly on the spinal cord and they had to go in and they had to pull everything out front. So they're saying, we have to go. How important is your voice? And I said, it's my livelihood. They says, we have to go through the vocal cords and you might never speak again. It's up to you, but we have to because in all three places, your spinal cord is bruised and it's pushing hard as it can. If you go fly fishing with your head up and down, we're going to give you 10 minutes before you're quadriplegic from here down. We have to get in there and relieve it. So then I'm thinking, okay, it wasn't hell. It wasn't a hospital like that, like I thought when I had the growths and all that. And here we are, wasn't a mental institution. But now they said, if, if push comes to shove, do you have someone take care of you? And you know what? Now, I'm somebody that really does. I mean, this faith thing is my life. But I had a moment when I was asked natural questions that had to have natural answers. If it's left up at all to the natural, is somebody going to take care of you? Well, it's going to be the nursing home. What do you do when Jesus comes in your room and your preachers all think you got to be 12 and you're only 7? What do you do 
when all of a sudden you got bleeding tumors and you got liver malfunction and I mean everything's going wrong and you're sick unto death all the time it seems. You need a healer. It's going to be hospitals forever. You don't want that. Have you ever had a problem that it seems like you can't get it solved and if you do then you have a question that don't have an answer and you're always on a search for something. God is in the business of taking care of all of that and his shalom is a peace that literally leaves, it's nothing missing, nothing broken, and nothing left out. And that is what will bring us the greatest healing tonight. So I thought, if it isn't the nursing home, then the next thing I knew is I thought, you know, I'm really tired. I've been fighting some real fights of faith. So I thought, is it a funeral home? Guess what? I had the verse written for my tombstone. How do you like this? This is a faith boy. Remember, friends, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be prepared for death and follow me. But then I had a favorite Bible verse. I wanted to go under it. Being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. You know, when I went to the healing service to receive my healing, I had two worlds fighting each other about that time. It's what I call this day for you is your receiving day. See, all of these things couldn't go on at the same time or even separately in my life until there has to somehow, the two are going to come to a bang and either I'm going to live or I'm going to die. I'm going to make it or I'm not going to make it, but it isn't going to stay like it is and it's not for you either. And I remember very clearly, just as surely as I had the verse that's really got me ready to go and I wanted people to hear me reading that out loud. Everybody that ever frowned at me, I thought, I hope they feel guilty as a dirty dog. You know, but then at the same time, I'm a faith man being fully persuaded that what he promised, he's able also to perform. Which one will win? I had one side of the world telling me this tongues and healing stuff. So the devil, you keep going to them kind of things and, and God's going to kill you. He's going to take you out. So you can't deceive none of our people. We love our people. And then the other side saying, if you don't come away from the doubt and Thomases and get over there with the faith people, you are going to suffer. You're going to downward spout. God is going to allow you to suffer until. And I thought, boy, God. <laughs> Who are you really? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm between two hard places. And you know what? It was the best place I ever was. I made up my mind at a very young age. I am going to go to that meeting that's called a healing meeting. Because just taking their words, either God will heal me or he will kill me. But I don't have to hurt ever again. It is going to solve it right there. And I went to the meeting. Mickey Jordan was her name. She was closely involved with Brother Norval Hayes. And I'm telling you, the woman was like an extension cord from heaven. The healing power flowed through and you watched mass miracles happen right before your eyes. She had said in the meeting, there's someone here that unless you receive your healing, you're not going to make it. But that's not God's will for you. That old devil that's trying to take you out is trying to take you out because of the calling. But tonight, if you receive your healing and you will let him heal you, totally have you of this same anointing of healing that's flowing through this ministry through my life. He will double it in your life and said, there's three treasured words that he's given me to give to you. And as she said that, she looked over the audience and had those eyes. You know, people that are filled with the Holy Ghost under the anointing have eyes that sees through the soul. And she said, the three most treasured words that you'll ever hear, whoever you are, is God loves you. And when she said it, her eyes locked with mine. I couldn't turn my head. I couldn't blink. And she penetrated. And what I heard was, God loves me. Did you know there's a lot of things that you can hear said that you know, you know it's right. But it's just right. I don't really comprehend it. I don't really fully understand that he loves me. Really? He really loves me. 
I'm the one he loves. I'm the object of this affectionate agape love that he has. It's for me, for real. Something began to stir in me. Now, I was sitting there thinking, you know what? I got the hemorrhage and I got everything under the sun going. She don't know how close to death I am, what have you. But I got in that line. And when she got in front of me, you're the one. You receive his healing power. That love is going to flow through you. And it was like liquid light came right toward my face. And I mean, I literally felt the cells in my brain communicate with each other. I felt my heart that had been broken so much and so scared and so tormented. I felt it piece by piece coming together and both sides communicating with each other. I mean, I could feel every part where the growths and where all this in the spine, all down through the back, everything. Every part of me was affected by it. And you know what? I came up from there and I was feeling good. And this was what was so funny. I'd forgot about what she says about the anointing. So I went to a little, a local Baptist church. I was invited. Some people were singing. There was having a singing there in the country, which we like to have down there in the South. And I went and they said, why don't you get up and sing a song? And I thought I'll sing, learning to lean the chorus. And when I did, all of the church was slain in spirit, except about three or four people. And they're just laid out there. Well, you know what? Guess what came on TV the same night? Jim Jones, part one. While I was down there and those Baptists were laid in the floor slain in the spirit, Jim Jones was telling their family that didn't go to church that night what to expect. And I thought, dear God, I just got out of there. And here they're saying, we've got a Jim Jones in the community. He was down there at that church tonight. Every one of them is laid in the floor. How long will it take before they're all drinking the Kool-Aid? I thought, boy, here I go again. I mean, the devil starts trying to mess up my mind. And I'm saying, you know, but this is what I learned. There's one answer even after you've received your healing in here tonight. I know you have a lot of teaching, so I'm just wanting more to share with you my own experience here. When this happened, I realized the devil, he means business. Did you know after you've received healing, lying symptoms can try to come back in whatever area. Thoughts can try to return. They can try to reoccur. You can think something's all took care of, and you have no idea, and out of nowhere, it'll just all of a sudden go from being dormant to just right there it is, and it's like, I thought that was over with. And you know, there is a way to get around and to deal with that. Over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, he says, We have known and believed the love God has for us. God is love. God is, God's love is the answer for any fear that would try to come at you tonight. And I thought, you know, every time we're in a situation when we need, we need divine intervention... It shouldn't be we have known and believed the love God has for us. Have you ever been around where everybody's getting get saying, don't you just remember when we used to have those means, boy, that was the day. You know what, there's something wrong with that. It should be we know and we believe the love God has to us. Let me tell you why that matters. I was doing a healing service not long ago. And I, there was a man in there, and he was a minister that's been in, in all this for many years. And I was talking about James 5, 14 and 15. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and everything. And after I read the verse, he said, yeah, we tried that, and it didn't work. The man died. Now, you know, this is a Pentecostal preacher. And when he did, that just bugged me. And I went, and I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, we tried it. We've done it with several. They died. So I said, so you're telling me you believe your integrity is greater than God's integrity. See, I don't believe there's anything in here that doesn't work 100% of the time. That is the difference. I believe this works all the time. Now, if some other outcome or something takes place, I don't know the arrangement God had between him and some man. But I will tell you this, James 5, 14 and 15 works 100% of the time. Now, if there's an arrangement where somebody gets to go, but this is what I want to say anyone wanting healing tonight. Receive your healing. 
Some people have the notion, and, and there's, there's this saying, like, you know, if I go or if I stay, I'm a winner either way. No, you're really not. You know what? You can't receive healing. They say, oh, they'll get their healing after they get there. No, you won't get it after you get there because you won't need it there. Your healing has to be received here if you get honored for having received it when you get there because there's not a need for healing in heaven. Do you understand that? That's something Oral Roberts taught me years ago. They say, oh, well, if we don't get it till we get there, well, you will be there whole. But you know what? This is something about Paul. He could have been killed 10,000 ways, I'm sure. Stonings and this and that and what have you. But you know what? There came a time when he said, I can sense the time of my departure is at hand. He did not say, well, look out, boys. This next one's going to get me. I'll be evicted from my body. You know it's all scarred up, don't you? No. You're, you being evicted from your body is never going to be the will of God. God wants you to walk and talk divine healing and divine health every day of your life and to be an example of it. His will will never be that you get evicted from your body because you just can't suffer no more and the Lord won't put more on you than you can bear. That's the way chickens talk. You know what? Stand up to cancer and talk to it. Jesus went around talking to fig trees. He talked to cancer. He talked to deformed body parts. He talked to them. Talk to it. Speak to it. You know what? You tell your body how to feel. You don't wait for it to tell you. You tell yourself what you're going to do and what you're not going to do because you know what? You have the right to do that. Four characteristics of those who came to Jesus and received that I studied and, and I was looking at all the miracles of Jesus and this is what I noticed. Number one, they knew what they wanted. Now I have people come in prayer lines and they'll say, whatever God's got for me. Are you kidding? No, there's, a, there's any number of things that you could start with. I don't care if you would just like to have prettier fingernails. There's nothing wrong with having prettier fingernails, especially if you've got a husband that likes your hands, honey. You know what? Start somewhere and be specific. And say, you know what? I'm going to start with something that I really am interested in, something that I find interesting, something that means something to me. There's this notion that it has to be something that's just going to matter and be life-shaking to everybody in the entire universe. No, if the tiniest thing will only matter to you, but you'll enjoy the life God gave you because of it, and he'll be the one that is giving this to you, go for it. Because you're the one that was on his mind. When he went on that cross, you are the one that was on his mind. He delights in being your partner in this life. You're not left alone that he just comes through when there's an emergency. I found out God didn't just handle emergencies well. Before you ever had the problem, he had the solution. Before you had all those questions, he had the answers. Before you got the sickness, he already had the, the cure. He didn't just handle emergencies well. Number one was they knew what they wanted. They wanted it very much. They firmly believed that they would receive it. And number four, they put forth every effort to obtain it. Yes, you've got to put forth effort. You have got to rise, take up your bed, and walk. It isn't going to just happen for you. It isn't just automatic. You know, that's something about the grace of God. You have grace all the time. But did you know what? You don't take advantage of it all the time. I could have an umbrella. You know what? One time I was in a meeting with Brother Copeland, and I'll never forget it was D.C. And I'm going to wind up and lay hands on anyone that wants it here in a minute. But I'll never forget. They had said, oh, the venue where we are, and when you come to the meeting, you know what? It's so close, so close, so close. So I said, don't get, you know, I'm not going to do no car, no this, no that. And it was absolutely a flash flood. When I got in there after, I thought, I'm going to just walk there. And in the middle of the way there, long story short, I get in there, and I mean, I'm dripping water everywhere. And you know what? They're saying, what in the world happened to you? And I thought, oh, that's what I want to know. Don't ever tell me not to, get, not to get a car again. You know, don't ever let me talk you into that. But I mean, look, well, you know what? The next day, even though I didn't walk that distance, I had to walk from a car to the inside and it was still raining. But you know what the difference was? I had an umbrella. 
Now, I had the umbrella in my suitcase. I owned it, and it was my umbrella. But I had to take hold of it and open it and have it over me when I went out where the rain was for it to do me any good. But I had that grace umbrella the whole time. Don't ever leave home without it. You have it. God gave it to you. But you have to consciously hold to it for it to really do you any good. You have it. It's yours. It ain't anybody else's. So they knew what they wanted. They wanted it very much. They firmly believed they'd receive it. And they put forth every effort. An example of that is Bartimaeus. I don't call him blind Bartimaeus because he ain't blind anymore. When he heard Jesus was coming, he made a statement. He says, if that's him, they said Jesus is coming. And you know what he does? He takes off the garment that identified him with a lack of vision or blindness. And then he goes to Jesus. That garment kept people from running over him. And so when he did that, he goes and Jesus says, there it is. That's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to be willing to take off that garment that identifies you with lack of anything that you feel you are not enjoying the fullness that God intends for you for. I'm going to give you one more story that's an experience. When I talked about um, we have known and believed the love God has to us, how does that affect? When you understand that God, his love toward you is intentional, then you don't say James 5, 14, 15 don't work all the time because then you understand his integrity. His mindset toward you is one of love. We had a prophet that was coming to my church and he was a very good prophet. I mean, he's a very, very phenomenal, detailed prophet. Long story short, I had a car and I was out there and I mean, I was cleaning it better than I'd ever cleaned that car because I'm going to pick up the prophet. And on the way, I stopped at a grocery store. Well, there in Monterey at the time, he's passed on now, but we had a town drunk. He's homeless. He lives in the woods and we've tried to do other things for him. But he would come and he would stop. He'd come in my church, be at the altar. We'd pray together for hours and he'd be stinking and he'd be crying and he'd be praying. But I'd be in the love of Jesus thinking, dear God. Now, when you say you walk, but you're not moved, but your senses, I learned there's one of the sense realm things that I still struggle with and it's the sense of smell. You know, when you've used the bathroom on yourself and you're burping beer in my, in, in my face, what have you, I do have a struggle with that, but I do get past it because I have the love of Jesus shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So if you stink, you can come in my prayer line and I'll act like you don't. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, Bimbo was his name. Well, Bimbo comes in the store and he says, I want some bologna and bread and Mountain Dew. And I says, well, Bimbo, just get it and I'll pay for it for you. I'll get it for you. Well, I get it. And I tell her, I said, I'm going to pay for that, whatever. Just go ahead, whatever. Well, she does it. Well, I didn't know this. When I go out, I look in my clean, clean car. And guess who's sitting in there having their Mountain Dew and opening their bologna thing? It's Bimbo. I thought, I'm going to get the prophet. Dear God, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what it's going to smell like when the prophet gets in there? And I'm going to be the only one he can look at. Yeah. Well, you know what? As fast as I could with windows down, I mean, I go sailing through the air. I'm getting bimbo over to where he's taken. And I don't mean this, I don't mean this in any way to mock him because I loved him, I mean, very, very deeply. And we prayed and prayed very fervently together sometimes. But this was the situation. I've got to get the prophet. Now, when you question the love of God, this was what set me straight in ministry. And I've never, ever, ever forgot. I says, Lord, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. You, you, some things you can't spray enough fragrance to get rid of. I don't know if you know that or not, but I just couldn't. But I tried. You know what? When I shut up talking long enough, God spoke to me and he says, you know what? The prophet so-and-so and so-and-so, he comes from a worse past than Bimbo. He won't have a bit of problem with Bimbo. He said, listen, Ronnie, I didn't have you to clean your car to get the prophet. I had you to clean your car for Bimbo because nobody ever has or ever would if they knew it.
I care about Bimbo. I wanted him to ride your car whether you did or not because I gave you that car to haul people like him and I meant for it. You know how big I felt or how little I felt? I mean, I repented and by then I was ready to make a few foul smells of my own just so I could get Bimbo back in the car and tell the prophet just how holy and humble I was. But the point is this, I'm not encouraging you that you got to go pick up a stinker and take him home before you're a Christian. It's that guess what? If you have to stand misunderstood because someone doesn't know why a certain fragrance might be around you, you owe no man anything but to love him. And it isn't just a love that you work up because somebody earns it and deserves it, but it's a love that Jesus died to give every one of us in whatever state of living and mind we were when he found us. You know, in Ezekiel, he talks about the baby that he come along, he picked the baby up. He says, when I was polluted in thy own blood, I said unto thee, live. Yea, when thou was in thy blood, live. He picked the baby up. I mean, when it's its bloodiest, it's at its worst. He cleaned it up. He picked it up. And I mean, he got everything fixed. But most of the church world is trying, you know, just to ignore it until it gets just right. Well, I didn't come from any kind of a past where I had it just right. But I was, I was fortunate that God was so good to me in my life that he gave me a savior who could save me. He gave me a healer that totally, completely healed me. He gave me a peace. He gave me a crystal clear mind that would help me to communicate to you tonight about a savior who has never let anyone down that I have ever known in all of these years of ministry. Immediately at 12 years old, I went into ministry and after he began to use me, they called me the kid healing evangelist. And from that time to this, I've never seen one person who allowed him to step into their life ever be sorry that they did. Tonight, my name won't do anything for you, but the one I'm talking to you about will do everything for you. He will exchange his life for your life. And I'm here to tell you something. He's not looking for a reason to reject you. He's looking for every reason to welcome you in. When I suffered and I went in my mind, would try to go in the past. I try to be grievous. I try to have anxiety, what have you. I was in that place. There was lying symptoms. And I'm closing my message with this because this ministry is very important to me. And I've told it all over the world. I came to the place where I didn't have a disease. I didn't have all these other things. Nothing could be detected anywhere. It was just something in me that needed fixing. And I thought, God, I don't know what I'm missing. There's something I need to do. Somebody, people used to send me the tapes. It was cassette tapes of Pastor Dwayne. And I got this tape called Resist the Devil. And I thought, resist the devil? Hmm. I popped that thing in. And the first thing he said where it was, he said, if everything that, that you're trying to do just isn't getting done, then you need to submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I thought, well, that's right. That's what they ought to do. Now, you say, Pastor Dwayne, you know, when do you resist the devil? Well, I'll tell you. All the time. And I thought, really? Now, you know what was funny? You've done it too. I thought I was resisting all the time. I wasn't resisting the devil. I was having tea parties with him. Are you kidding? I got nervous if he was late and I wasn't worried or somebody else got there, but they didn't, you know, walk in just to suit me or made noises or, you know, I remember right during that time, somebody was coming in while I was listening and I thought, what? And I, and I listened, but when I got that, you know what, that tape has been, I mean, more miles with me because when I would start to go back in that place where I felt like I wasn't being productive and then I wasn't, I think Pastor Dwayne, he told me what I needed to know. Resist the devil and he will flee from you all the time. Now, I had to learn how. 
It isn't always going to be a, a big marching soldier that's saying, I resist you in the name of Jesus. You know how I learned to do it? I know and believe the love God has toward me. I know and believe the love God has toward me. In my moment of feeling sickness, no matter how simple or how bad, I know the love God has toward me. When you get so built up as the righteousness of God in Christ that you know the love God has toward you, no matter what, you resist the devil without even having to lift a finger. It's a position we take. And you know what? And God used it. There was a lady here. There was two ladies, Janet Trainer and Norma Martinez. And I mean for months. It may have been years. They took turns and they would send me all of the tapes of everything Pastor Dwayne was teaching. He didn't know that I was in his Bible school. Now, if he really, if he ever wants to, when I leave, if he has anything to say about how I talk and teach, I'm going to say, I learned it from him. <laughs> but tonight, in honor and respect of the Holy Spirit, and I thank you for the privilege to talk to you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, is there anyone here that you've not made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? And tonight, you would raise your hand and say, Brother Ronnie, I want this Jesus to be my personal Savior and Lord. Pray for me. Is there anyone, anyone that would like to be born again? Praise the name of the Lord. If not, let's all just stand and let's just worship the Lord for a moment. I'm going to open this altar, and as I open this altar, it means I want to lay hands on every person that would like to have hands laid on them. Tonight is your night. It's your receiving night. You know, when Jesus says today is the day of salvation, I took it in my life as the woman that had an issue of blood. No matter if she went 12 years, but there was a day that she said, if I could just touch his clothes, I'd be made whole. There is a day, the receiving day is the one when you finally are close enough to touch his clothes and you can be made whole. Now, for everyone that would like hands laid on, I want to give you some quick instructions. They would like every person wanting it to come down this center aisle and they're going to get you up here so that everybody gets their turn to get hands. Now, I want you to believe this right now. Today is your receiving day. Healing is God's will for you. There was three things that Oral Roberts told Kenneth Copeland, if you want to be successful, is number one, find out what the will of God is. Once you find out, no longer confer with flesh and blood. Once you found out the healing power of God and, and divine health is God's will for you, don't talk to all your doubting relatives about whether they think you are to go for it or not. You, don't, you just don't do it anymore. He says, number one, find the will of God for your life. Number two, confer no longer with flesh and blood. And number three, get the job done at all costs. I want you to receive your healing. I want you to receive your deliverance in Jesus' precious name. So everyone that would, that wants prayer, would you just begin to come down this middle aisle? They're going to get you here. And I just want to say it's a privilege. It's been a pleasure to be with you tonight. I know that God is going to touch you and your life is never going to be the same in Jesus' name. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God in Jesus' precious name. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.